Well, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. And uh, I want to share with you a little bit about discipleship that fits. Um, Reason being is, as I just mentioned a few moments ago, we have just concluded our time of a half million individuals in the United States and Canada that in the Church of the Nazarene began to pray about God's leadership and God's direction for not only our hearts and our churches, but God's movement uh, in our country, in our nation, in our denomination. And many of you share with me stories about what God has been doing and what God has been speaking to you about. And we shared a little bit more about that last week. Uh, Some of the things that we talked about the last couple of weeks, we talked about how uh, God was preparing the hearts, our cultivation for our hearts. He was preparing the soil to hear from him. And we talked about preparation for cultivation. We talked about how to be motivated in prayer, that sometimes when we come to God, we simply ask Sometimes we're seeking, or we're, we're seeking, and then there are other times when, when the request is very heavy on our hearts that we're really knocking on heaven's door. We talked about prayer for apron strings on Mother's Day. We watched about how God modeled how to pray the Lord's Prayer. We talked about overcoming spiritual barriers with prayer, the walls of Jericho, where sometimes we've, we've raised walls or there are things that are keeping us from our praying. And so we talked about how, what to do in those situations. We talked about how to pray when you don't know what to say, about the Holy Spirit in Romans, when the Holy Spirit takes our words and represents them to the Father. And we talked about what to do when we don't know what to say. Two weeks ago, we talked about the prayer, the power of a praying church, and we talked about the story of when Peter was imprisoned, about how the church was praying and how he was released in Scripture. And then last week, we talked about the characteristics of a spirit-filled church being Pentecost Sunday, and we learned that what the early church was beginning to do was that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. And we discovered that on the first day of the church, 3,000 individuals came into the church. And as we mentioned before, that could be a huge blessing or a logistical nightmare. All of those individuals coming from varying backgrounds, all the various uh, places of experiences and uh, uh, things that they had gone through, and all of a sudden they were all coming in. What was the church going to do? The church needed to continue to do what Jesus had been doing in making disciples. But how to allow those individuals to become more and more like Jesus. Now, I know when we talk about the thrilling idea about discipleship or becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, I know that that can be a little nebulous or hard to understand and to wrap our our heads around and really try to explain all that. But it really comes down to what Jesus was teaching his disciples in Mark chapter 8. And in Mark chapter 8, it says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way to take up your cross and to follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But but if you give up your life for, for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find it. You see, being a disciple of Jesus simply means that that we are beginning to model our lives, our thoughts, our words, our actions, everything about us so that we can become more and more like Jesus. 
in, in other words, what Jim Putman described it as is this. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to Jesus' kingdom mission. I like that, I like that description. And that's what was happening back then. That's what's happening today as Jesus gives us the disciple-making mandate. What did he do? In Matthew 28, he said this, therefore, go. When he says therefore, he was speaking not only to those then, but he was speaking to all of us today. He said, therefore, go and make, not if you go, but when you go. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That was it. That's what Jesus asked of us. So how did Jesus model that before his disciples? Oh, sometimes we, we say, well, you know what? That's the church's job. You know, they'll, they'll help people become more and more like Jesus. No, the, the, the Bible doesn't say it that way. He says for all of us to be a part of the process. I don't know if you've ever had a, the privilege of leading someone in a, in a prayer of confession or the sinner's prayer and leading them to the Lord. It is one of the most thrilling things to know and I've oftentimes think, no, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know necessarily what happens. I've never been to heaven. So, but I'd like to think it this way. I'd like to think that when one person finds Jesus Christ and about the life-changing dynamic that happens that switches all of their, their course of, of their lives, I, I sort of think that there is great rejoicing. Have you ever seen anybody score a touchdown? Have you ever heard how the how the, the players all gather around them and, and, and they just hug them and jump on top of them and, and the stadium, especially if it's a home game, they just go, I'd like to think that when, when it's announced in heaven that so-and-so found Jesus, I'd like to think that there are some high fives between the angels. I'd like to think that they're, that they're surrounding each other and loving each other and hugging each other and going, there is another one. Doesn't that just bring joy to your heart? That's what about being a disciple of Jesus Christ is all about. If I were to ask you of these three things, which one had the most impact on you drawing closer to Jesus? Was it a sermon that you heard? Was it a, an experience that you had? Or was it someone with whom you saw Jesus being modeled? You maybe didn't know all of the answers and maybe didn't even know the questions, but you saw something in them that attracted them to you. Probably, I would guess that the answer was that most of the time when you see Jesus being modeled, that's the kind of thing that impacts us the most. Jesus' disciple, Jesus disciples through relationships differently in different relational contexts. We're continually gathering people in various situations and in various sizes of gatherings. Jesus was all about gathering people to himself. Now, did you know that Jesus did this in a lot of different ways? It wasn't just one way. Jesus talked to people and built relationships in a lot of different ways. Now, I like what Bobby Harrington and Alex Absalom, now I want to give them credit because they sort of put this into perspective, but he talks about how Jesus had a public context. He had a public ministry when he ministered to the crowds. 
When Jesus in Matthew chapter five was speaking on the Sermon on the Mount and there were all these people there, Jesus was talking to them in the public context. Or maybe when in John chapter six, when he was feeding the 5,000. Or Mark six, where he was comparing or the compassion for those who were shepherdless. If I had to give you an example, it'd probably be like what we do on Sunday mornings for the, the great worship experience. It's gathering in the large context. Now, it's not the only context, and the worship service is vitally important, but Jesus' total focus wasn't necessarily on the mass crowds. He spoke to them, but he built relationships as that group got smaller. Well, the next one was the social context, where Jesus ministered to not quite the bigger crowd, but it was a little smaller in Luke chapter 10, he, he talks about sending out the 70 to be his witnesses. In Matthew chapter 9, he's eating with the Matthew's tax collector friends. In Luke 19, it's the, the party that they're having at Zacchaeus' house. Jesus, again, is involved in the hearts and lives of his people. But even that had a, the next context, which was the personal context. And this is where Jesus spent most of his time was with his disciples. Oh, he ministered to everybody. He healed everybody. But it was the personal context, his time with his disciples, when in John 13, he's washing the disciples' feet. In Matthew 8, he's calming the storm in their lives. In Mark chapter 8, it's the confession and even the rebuke of Peter. It's, if I could give us a, a context, it's, it's not the great big worship, it's not maybe the, the big Sunday school classes, but it becomes maybe the, the, the intimate times that we have in our small group time, in our personal connection time. Well, there was even one a little closer to that. It was the transparent context. Because not only did Jesus have his 12, he really had his three, Peter, James, and John. And, and there were times that he drew them in a little closer in Luke chapter 8, we talk about the transfiguration where he brought them to the top of the hillside and they watched Jesus being transfigured. In Mark chapter 10, it's James and John's, John's request about who is going to sit next to Jesus. In Matthew 26, it's when Jesus was headed to the, the Garden of Gethsemane and he asked for the three to come a little closer. You see, Jesus was ministering to different people in different size contexts, but there was even one more. There was the divine context where Jesus still had and kept up his personal relationship with his Father. When he was walking early to pray in Mark 1, he spent time in prayer in, Mar in, in Luke chapter 6 before calling the 12. In John chapter 5, Jesus does what only the Father has asked him to do. It would be your personal walk. So there were times when Jesus impacted the hearts and lives through a sermon delivered to hundreds. Other occasions when he was shaping a mid-sized community through the 30s and the 40s. Other times when he was discipling just as his small group of just 12. Then again, sometimes Peter, James, and John, and even sometimes on his personal time with his father. So we get all of that, and we get to what Jesus has called you and I to do. It's this, and here's our text. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, he said this, follow me, follow me. 
and I will make you fishers of men. One person put it this way, the definition of a disciple is in the invitation. And we'll see that this morning. Here's the first thing. What does Jesus say? Jesus says to follow me. A disciple knows and follows Jesus Christ. From Jesus's perspective, a disciple is one who follows him. Now, before Jesus went about uh, calling individuals to come and follow after him and walk with him and see what he was going to do, Jesus impacted them in their personal lives. In fact, in Luke chapter 5, we get this story of when the, the, some of the early disciples were, were fishing and Jesus went and did a miraculous job in impacting their lives. In fact, filled two boats worth of fish. And I don't want us to run by that thought for just a moment. Here's Jesus, makes a personal impact where a person lives. And sometimes we run by the verses that say, well, and they rejoiced or they were impacted. But do we really understand what Scripture is describing us there? A couple of days ago in the evening after work, Wendy and I were at home, and it was later later into the evening before bed. We happened to be watching something that we happened to get on YouTube, and we were watching stories of where people who had gotten cochlear implants and were learning to hear for the very first time. Or they were putting glasses on that allowed them to see color for the very first time. Now, I don't know about you, they were from babies, small children, all the way up to adulthood, and to a person, when they counted down and they clicked on the device, every single person had the same reaction. They were startled, they couldn't believe their hear, their ears about what they were hearing, they were overjoyed. And then all of a sudden it kicked in and they began to break down and cry. Why? Because something that they never had before was true for them. And sometimes we read the stories in the Bible and we we sort of get this idea that, well, and they rejoice. Folks, I got to tell you, if you're lowering from the roof like the paralyzed man and he, Jesus says, get up and walk, I'm telling you what, I don't know how to do the jig, but I would do a spiritual jig as best I could if I got to walk like that. Why? Because there's something personal about it. And this is what was happening. And here's Jesus. Jesus comes by and he calls these disciples. And these guys were ordinary guys. They were fishermen. They were rough around the edges. And and, and basically what Jesus was saying is, I choose you. I choose you. But Jesus, you don't understand my background. You don't understand my story. You don't understand the things I've gone through. You don't understand my experiences. Jesus says, I don't More than you know, I do know your situation. But I call you by name because I want you to be one of my disciples. What a great thought that Jesus calls each of you, you and me. He calls us by name. He knows us by name. And he says, I want you to come follow me. Oh, there's lots of different examples that we could go through. But you see, when Jesus is leading, 
What does it say? He didn't say, I want you to walk in front of me. He didn't say, well, try your best to do what you're supposed to do. Jesus said, follow me, follow me. Now there's an old game we used to play growing up called follow the leader. How many of you ever played that game? You know, I haven't played that for years. And, and that leader, he would go up and down and over various things and, and you try to keep up. Now Jesus sometimes takes us to the mountaintops and sometimes there are valleys. But when Jesus is leading, we know that, that there might be some difficult times in life. But if Jesus is leading, we can rest assured that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That we can follow after him. That wherever he goes would be the best place for us to be is in his care. That's why in John chapter 12, it says this, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. Now that's a great statement. Wherever I am, that's where I want you to be. And in John chapter 14, it says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So my question is, are you obeying his teaching this morning? Are you doing what Jesus wants us to do? Now, there were a lot of different experiences. There were a lot of different excuses that people gave in Scripture. Not everyone followed Jesus. Not everyone followed. Not, not, some just outright rejected him. Some didn't understand, and they started the process, and they thought, well, that, that experience is too difficult or too, too hard, and they backed away. And there were, not everyone followed after Jesus, but many did. And it's the same today. There are an awful lot of people like the idea of being forgiven of their sin, but, they're, but they say, but, but I don't necessarily want to follow. I want to be the one in charge. But Jesus said, if you're one of my disciples, you'll need to follow after me. So that's why we make him Lord. He's not only our Savior, but he's our Lord. He's the one who dictates. So when he says, when he says, that's what we want to do. So that's why this first part says this, a disciple is one who is following Christ. Well, here's the second one. And I will make you. A disciple is being changed by Christ. You see, that's all about being changed. It's not about coming with my life. Hey, God, I want you to endorse my life. I want you to approve my life. I want to live my life however I want to live my life. Jesus said, no, it, if you're going to be one of my disciples, it will cost you everything you have. Meaning, it's no longer self-rule. It's the rule of Jesus Christ in our life. You see, this war, and I'll get to a scripture here in just a minute, that's why we struggle between self-lordship and Jesus Christ being Lord of our life. Here they were. These guys were just ordinary people following Jesus. And he said, I will make you. In fact, in John 15, he says this. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. You know, there are times that sometimes he, Jesus wants to change us by molding us closer to him. And he's going to allow things and, and do some things and, 
and, and some things will happen in our lives to draw us ever closer to him. That's what he's talking about. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it will bear even more fruit. But here's the verse. Verse four, remain in me. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch can't produce fruit if it's being severed from the vine and you can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. And that's what Jesus is talking about. To produce fruit, the disciples would need some serious work for there to be fruit in our lives. He was going to teach them and empower them to be like him. What would Jesus do? He was going to talk to them about their beliefs, about what they understood and, and believed. They were, he was going to talk about their attitudes, their heart and their character. He was going to talk to them with their, about what to do with their hands. And as he shaped them into the messengers who would deliver the good news to the world. Jesus knew that they would also need the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives because it would be the Holy Spirit that would produce the likeness of Christ in them. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts. Let the Spirit renew your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. In Galatians where it's leading up to the fruit of the Spirit, he again says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And those two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Lots of folks know about Jesus, but have we allowed him to change our lives? So here's the second. A disciple is one who's being changed by Christ. Here's the third. I will make you fishers of men. A disciple is committed to the mission of Christ. When we know and follow Christ, we, we look at people differently. What are you doing with your experience with Christ. These men had been experienced fishermen. They'd been out on the sea. They'd hauled in fish. They'd had long hours. They, they were rough around the edges. But Jesus told them that he would make each of them now fishers of men. That would be his mission. The, the cause of Christ would include people. And when we spend time with Jesus, when the Holy Spirit resides in us, we can't help but care about what he cares about. There's a story in Scripture that talks about the rich man and Lazarus, who was a beggar near the gate. And each day they would come and go, and eventually they both died, Scripture says, and Lazarus went on to be in heaven, and, and the rich man was separated from God and was cast away. And he could see over onto the other side the happiness and the joy that was being there, and he, he longed for there to be some relief, but none came. Sometimes we focus so much on the one side that we forget that there is a consequence to not loving Jesus and following Jesus. And it's being eternally separated from him. 
And he finally would say, someone please go and tell my family not to come here. But here's the point. The people we know and love who do not know Jesus are lost for eternity unless they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And when we believe that reality, it changes the way we think and pray and spend our time and money. And we understand that there are, there are really just two categories. Those who have been saved from their sin and those who have not. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And that he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, when we know that we follow Christ, we look at people differently. We don't judge them. Instead, we care for them and reach out to them in love. And when we are disciples of Jesus, we speak and act and, and serve as he did. And like the Apostle Paul, Jesus' Jesus' love compels us. We long to see people reconciled to Christ. We partner with him in that mission. We give him our hands in service. Our abilities, our gifts, our skills are all empowered and are on call for the Lord's mission to save the world. So here's the last part. A disciple is committed to the mission of Christ. Brings me back to our text, which is this. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. I love this quote by Bill Mowry. It says this, and this is the invitation. Will you walk with me as I walk with Jesus? Then let the adventure begin one step at a time. I love that quote. It's not, hey, you go and do and be, and I'll try to do my going. No, it's, hey, journey with me. Come with me. When we were on vacation at Christmas time to be with our kids, they all decided to go ice skating. Now, I don't know if you've ever been ice skating before, but it's not like, it's sort of like roller skating, except that you're not so balanced. You're on a little blade. And it was interesting to watch. There were some people that, boy, they just got out there, skated, and they were doing circles and pirouettes, and boy, they could skate backwards, and they were zipping around, and boy, it was just amazing. But there were some people there were some people that hugged the wall as they skated, and they went about this fast. And there were others, which I thought was a great idea. They had a like, like what you like, a, like a walking cane unit that you might have, but they used it something similar like that, but for skating. And so little kids would hold on to that, and they could gain their balance, and they skated. And I sometimes wondered, you know, the journey 
of becoming a disciple is not so clear-cut. It's journeying together. It's saying, hey, you know what? If we've got to walk along the wall, I'll walk with you along the wall. If we've got to use some help, I'm there to help and to steady. And someday, someday you'll be able to skate on your own. And someday you'll be able to help someone else as they in turn follow Jesus. This morning, I want to close by sharing with you my pastor's report. Now, as you know, uh, we, we've, our church year runs from June 1 to May 31st, uh, to the end of May. And so we're now into our brand new church year. And so every year we gather together and we've already done our voting and the new church uh, officials are, are now in place and we'll have our first board meeting this, this week. And uh, so many of the reports that you will find in that booklet uh, there are from all of the various committees and reports of ministries that we have. But one of the things that uh, I do every year is to share with you uh, a little bit about my pastor's report, about where we have been and what God is asking us to do for the new year. So uh, let me share with you this. Today I share with you my 11th report as the pastor of the Lacombe Church of the Nazarene and my 33rd year in ministry. Each year, we share with you the highlights in ministries and provide reports for those who sacrificially serve here at Lacombe. I hope that you'll take a few moments to say thank you to all of those who faithfully served this past year. I'd like to take a few moments to first to express my personal thank you to several key individuals. Each year, first is to my wife, Wendy, who has been my partner in ministries these last 38 years. I appreciate her willingness to serve wherever there has been a need, especially in the area of children, in the nursery, even in the sound booth at times. She continues to serve the Lord at the Pleasant Street Elementary School here in Mount Vernon where she teaches second grade. Thank you also to my staff, to Mindy Shimrick, our children's pastor, to Derek Parson, our youth pastor, to Aaron Van Valkenburg, our creative arts director, to our support staff members, Bob Toshif, our interim worship and choral director, to Nancy Joe Todd, our office manager, and to the Sandy Davila and to Sylvia Locker who help us keep our facilities tidy as our custodians. I'd also like to say thank you personally to our church board leadership, to Patrick Roten, our church treasurer, to Joe Van Valkenburg, who was our church board secretary, and now Brian Rested, who is our interim board secretary. To Alice Trailer, our, our missions president, and to Bevan Shivedecker, our Sunday school superintendent. I'm extremely thankful for those who serve as part of the chaplain ministry here at Lacombe that provide the initial pastoral care to those in need. Thank you to those who served at some point this year Jim Duro, Ken and Lori Aish, Jerry Scott, Ray and Pat Sharps, Ed Thomas, and John Todd. To all those who served as committee chairmen, served on various boards, committees, and volunteered their, their time this year, thank you for your servant's heart and flexibility. Highlights. This year has been, in reality, a very difficult year for many in our congregation. We've experienced some very unexpected tragic news of death, some extended periods of COVID, me included, 12 funerals, some retirements, and some moving relocations. But if that was the whole story, it could be sort of deflating in and of itself. But it's not the whole story. It's sort of what Paul Harvey used to say, here's the rest of the story. That God has been extremely faithful. That during this time of restrictions and shutdowns, God has allowed us to pay all of our obligations, both local and district, 
in full, that we remain debt-free, that we were able to hire a new creative arts staff person in Aaron Van Valkenburg. We started a couple of new ministries, the Good News Club and Grief Share. Through our Children's Good News Club at Twin Oaks, we had 11, 11 conversions of faith. Oh, absolutely. Give God praise this morning. We participated in the half million prayer mobilization emphasis. At our 50th anniversary celebration, part B, we were able to give away $50,000 to our community in three different categories. To those with $1,000 donations, we gave to the Good News Club at Twin Oaks, to the Winter Sanctuary Men's Shelter, to the Women's Shelter here in town, to the Mount Vernon Nazarene University Soccer Stadium, to Knox Learning Center Food Supplement Fund, and to the Police and Kids United. To those to that received the two and $3,000 donations were the police chaplains, the Lazarus Life Ministry, which was a drug addiction recovery house in Centerburg, interchurch social services, and the Salvation Army designated funds. And then three that were $10,000 more or more gifts we gave away. First to the Mount Vernon City Schools and Pleasant Street Elementary, which I've just talked to their, their principal, and they now have ordered the outside equipment that we've donated to, and they'll be installing that over the summer. We gave to the Salvation Army Capital Fund, and we were also able to give to the RIP, R-I-P, Medical Debt Organization, where they helped to pay off a million dollars, a million dollars worth of medical debt. I say praise the Lord that God is continuing to use your influence and your faithful giving to help others. To God be the glory, great things he's done and is continuing to do. As we turn the page towards the new year, we look forward to God's continued faithfulness in leading us here at Lake Home. This year, our theme will be go and make disciples who make disciples. If I were to ask you the following questions, how would you respond? If Christianity were a team sport and the church we were, we are um, Christ's team, what would winning look like or be? What is the church supposed to be and do to win? Some might say conversions or baptisms or the amount raised or attendance goals. There are a variety of answers, but in reality, God's word gives us the solution or answer. Jesus gave us the command in Matthew chapter 28, where he makes the church's mission clear. The church is called to reach the world for Jesus, one person at a time. In other words, every Christian is commanded to participate in the mission to make disciples. In John 17, we read of Jesus' prayer to our Heavenly Father. In his prayer, Jesus said that he him, themselves, they all needed the Holy Spirit. Jesus commanded 12 men to do the same work his father had given them to do. The, the disciples didn't look at Jesus and say, well, well, how do we do that? Jesus had already shown them how. He'd given them a living model to follow. Jesus made disciples who made disciples. You see, the message now needs a messenger. Your work in mine is complete when the person you're discipling can make a disciple. 
Disciples are made when the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God work together. The church was not designed to be a group of spectators who attend weekly lectures. It was designed to be a trained army with a powerful message, where all believers are the messengers who bring the message to others and then continue the process of discipling those who believe. The church is God's team. Today, some Christians think that they can make disciples best without the church. They feel that the church, the corporate body, doesn't hold up its end, because, and because of that, they're, they're sometimes tempted to quit the church and, and go the Christian life alone. But Christianity is a team sport, and no matter how gifted or talented an individual is, he or she still needs the church to, to be able to be successfully make disciples and to be a disciple. Because a go-it-alone philosophy is unbiblical, the church is still a part of God's design in disciple-making. So it's time to get in the game. If Christianity is a team sport, then the, the team cannot win unless everyone gets in the game. Paul writes that we're all a part of God's church, God's team. We were chosen to be on that team and to play a role that he has gifted us for. If you go to 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about one body with many parts. We all have abilities and gifts to be used for the good of the team and the cause of Christ. Everyone is important and everyone plays. So we again ask the question, what is a disciple? We've discovered that the definition is in the invitation, as we've just mentioned. In Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. A disciple is someone who knows and follows Christ, is being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. What does that mean for me and you and me? Well, over this next year, this is what we're going to ask of you. One, that you prayerfully consider into whom God is asking you to invest your life. And second, that you commit to joining us through the process prescribed as the discipleship process. We realize that the COVID-19 restrictions produced a, a sense of loneliness and isolation. And true, we had to make some difficult decisions concerning operations and programming, which in turn forced us to look at reality a little differently in how we do ministry. But the church can't orchestrate everything. We're, we need your help. We, we want to release you to do ministry. Therefore, we want to to return to some fundamental principles of connection and community. Over the next year, we want to make the following priority in the disciple-making process. One is to continue to grow spiritually. Two, to develop those relationships. To three, to be intentional about the first two. And four, to have fun. Would that be okay if we just included that as part of the process, that there would be joy in the house of the Lord, that, that sometimes I think Satan discourages us that if we feel good and are joyful, that somehow we should feel bad about that. I think that's the way God designed it. And guess what? We'll start tonight. We'll start tonight by just celebrating the Van Valkenburgs coming and we'll have a time of fellowship and we'll have some tacos and some fellowship and some games and we'll want you to bring some games and in a few moments, you're gonna help me to stack chairs and, and so we'll just have some fun. Would that be okay? Just to have some fun in Jesus' name. The disciple, see, this isn't bad. The disciple-making process 
is not a linear, sequential, check-the-box-off kind of process. Rather, it's a journeying with one another through the varying levels of relationship, as we talked about, the public, the social, the personal, the transparent, and the divine. Remember what Acts chapter 42 said, chapter 2, verse 42 says about the early church. That day, about 3,000 took him at his word, were baptized, were signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and prayer. What does that first step look like for you and me? Well, it looks like first steps. And while you can't see the small print there, you, you will in the, in the handout. The first steps really is a quarterly lunch that we'll have with the pastoral staff and anybody within that quarter who've just been some of our guests and attendees, we're going to invite them to a time of just fellowship to get to know the, the staff. And it really is engaged or engaged in those first steps of relationship and introduction to the life here at Lake Home. But there's another process. It's called next steps. Now, now, now next steps is just sort of a description. They, they, these are not in any particular order, but it talks about have you been baptized? Are you a part of a small group or some kind of a connection group? Have you, talk, have you been through Fresh Start or a growth track? I'll get to that in just a minute. How about membership? How about sharing your story? We already have some people that are going to share their stories with us and we'll post those on our website and we'll share them on Sunday mornings so that you and I can be encouraged about what Jesus Christ is continuing to do even today then it's about finding a place to serve. Let me tell you a little bit about Fresh Start. Fresh Start really is for new converts and those new to the faith. Answering questions like, well, what just happened? Answering simple questions of beginning a new life with Jesus Christ. Showing them how the discipleship fits together and partnering them with a mentor. I know several who shared with others in our congregation of journeying with people who have come to know Christ, but they need someone to come along with them, to share with them. The last is probably where the majority of you and I will fit. It's what we might call the growth track. You say, well, pastor, what does all this discipleship stuff mean? Well, we're going to share with you that through our Sunday school classes or through our, our disciples or through our small groups or the connection groups, wherever you might be, that somewhere along the line, we're going to invite you to be a part of the process of going through this process together. Since we've never done that together, we're going to invite everybody to go through it together. You say, well, pastor, I've been a Christian a long time. That's great because then you get to give mentorship to someone else who might be farther back behind you. And if we all go through the process, then we all have a framework of reference to say, hey, when you come to church, when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, let me tell you about how you can become more and more like him because this is what it did for me. It's talking about thinking like Jesus. What do I believe and why does that matter? It's about being like Jesus. Am I becoming the person God wants me to be? It's, it's acting like Jesus. How can I put my faith into action? For some, a little in advance, we'll go through what some might call, and there's a couple of books out there entitled Coffee Shop Theology. It's learning a little bit deeper about what we believe and what God wants for us. You see, in Acts chapter 4, and I'm almost done, in Acts chapter 4, it says this. This was the prayer of the early church. 
Give us your servants, it says. Give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after that prayer, the scripture says, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with boldness. Well, you now have been given an invitation. My question is, what will you do with it? May we too be bold for Jesus and may our answer always be yes. To God be the glory. Pastor Scott Sharps, lead pastor here at Lake Home.